contention is that the strong would come by the weak. And actually that you're made perfect through your weakness because it's in your weakness that you look to the cornerstone for all the answers. And to close up, uh, kind of reminiscing through our songs, isn't that worth surrendering your all? To the kind of God that would say, I know you're weak. I'm going to make you strong. And in his economy, he does uh, just that. Uh, my my dad is, is fond of pointing out that a lot of us haven't surrendered our all. And maybe you're here this morning thinking, you, you know, you, you even, as you sang those words, you thought, you know, I, I surrender some. The reality is that I surrender parts of me. And, and we're all there, so you're not alone. If that's you this morning, you're not alone. Uh, I'm aware of every hypocritical word that I sing when I'm singing it. Uh, and even I was under conviction as I was singing that song that, what does surrendering all look like? Something more than I've done. I promise you that. Uh, let's not surrender some. Let's not surrender most. Let's surrender all to Jesus because uh, he's our cornerstone. He is where the weak are made strong and victory is found uh, in none other than him. I do have a couple of announcements. Again, I pulled the wool over uh, Rose's uh, eyes and, and uh, uh, just a couple quick admin uh, things to cover. Uh, a few of you have shown interest in volleyball. Um, the deadline is coming soon. We have a meeting on, on Monday, so tomorrow uh, at 7 p.m. I believe it's at uh, CLA. Um, but if you be if you want to be part of volleyball and you'd like to attend that meeting, I probably will not be able to be there. Uh, and it's not that we won't have any chance of getting into the league if we miss that meeting. Uh, I think Bob would probably still let us uh, let us get in. But if if that's something you want to do, please uh, step up and let me know. Uh, we can get you that meeting and get all the information covered so we can put that out uh, on our website. Uh, and then I just wanted to bring a, uh, a need uh, before you. Um, most of you know uh, Chris and Samantha Yates, and, and I hope I don't embarrass her by saying this, but Chris just underwent a painful uh, surgery on his shoulder. Um, and while it was a great success, and we thank Jesus for the great success that his surgery was, um, he's in a great deal of pain. And now add to that, he and his uh, son are, are both uh, been sick all night, uh, throwing up, and, and so that's never fun, especially when you have a pain in your shoulder. Every time uh, that happens, I'm sure he, he feels that pain. And so we're just looking to bless them with some meals this week. So if that's something you'd like to be a part of, uh, just come see me, come see my wife. Uh, we'll get a calendar put together uh, for this week to make sure that they're, uh, they're covered in that uh, this week. Uh, we are in Galatians chapter 6. We're coming to the end of our Galatians study. I always have a uh, sort of a bittersweet feeling about the end of a study. I like to know where I'm going. So when, when the Spirit tells me we're going to be going to Galatians, I, I take comfort in that. I take even greater comfort when it's a longer book. I say, well, for the most part, I'm just going to kind of coast through that book then. I'm going to do some studying. I'm going to uh, do some preaching through that. But I know where I'm going. And, and most of 90% of a pastor's anxiety is what's coming next. Uh, and so I don't know yet. The answer is I don't know. Uh, pray for me. If you Well, you should be already, right? I pray for you. So, um, But this uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, and probably a portion of Scripture in your Bibles is titled or has a heading like this. Bear one another's burdens. Your Bible probably says something like that at the top of that uh, chapter. And it was going to suffice for a title this Week, But I thought, you know, as I studied through the passage, as I looked at it over and over again, I thought, you know what, uh, there's still an aspect of it uncovered by that title. Uh, so here's my working title this morning. Pulling your weight and then some. Pulling your weight and then some. 
I think it's fitting. I think it's timely that this message would come to us this week. And isn't it awesome that God does that? Uh, I was here till almost 2 o'clock last week talking to hurting people. And I felt an immense weight about that. Not on me so much, just to feeling people's pains. Feeling people's difficulties and absorbing that. And I only only feel a portion of it. Uh, But I can already relate to this bear one another's burdens. The call to do that. The expectation that we would do that. There's a lot of heavy things. A lot of people come through these doors and, and they get polished up on Sunday. They wear a, a happy face and you'll never know the hurting that's going on behind the scenes. So be mindful of that when you talk to each other, when you hug each other. Uh, be mindful that they're probably not sharing all they have to share with you. Whether feelings of guilt, feelings of disbelief, feelings of loneliness, feelings of uh, whatever, fill in the blank. And uh, and most of us have something we carried in here today that we would have rather not carried into the church with us. And so uh, be mindful of that. In God's sovereignty, he does just that, though. I believe uh, that preaching is the method by which God has ordained that his message, his truth, would go out. It may not be the method I would have picked. It may not be the method you would have picked. And some people call into question the idea, is it archaic? Should we still be gathering on Sunday morning and, and letting this guy uh, belt it out from the pulpit? Each week. But this is the method that God has ordained to get his truth into the masses. And so it's no surprise to me that in his sovereignty, uh, he has designed that this message would come up at a time I was keenly aware of the difficulties represented in this group this morning. And God would not have been stymied if I had picked a different book of the Bible. He could have still done it. Christianity is a team sport. Maybe the, the absolute team sport. Because we can't do Christianity rightly outside of community. By way of illustration, I was reading one of my commentaries and um, one of the commentators was reading an autobiography uh, by a, a British cricket player. I don't know much about cricket. Anyone else? It's a weird game. not sure what the rules are. They throw the ball, it bounces, they try to hit it like a baseball. I don't know why they just don't hit it while it's in the air. It seems like it'd be easier, but they don't. Um, but this team was, this professional cricket team was chock full of talent. All sorts of all-star talent on this roster. And this one particular person who was writing the, the story of his life in this book, he was reminiscing over a, a period of a decade that he spent on this team with a roster full of talent. And never in that decade or longer of playing on that all-star filled roster Did they make it to the big show? Did they make it to the prize? Did they win a championship? It was a great shock to him. The management of the team would eventually kind of disband the team. Not disband the team, but start over. You've seen that happen with professional sports teams. All right, we we can't afford to keep all these all-stars. We're going to break it down and bring in some new talent. A new captain comes along. He says, you know what? Uh, Our thing, my shtick is going to be, I'm going to emphasize and focus on teamwork. We don't have all the raw talent. Well, some of it's raw, very raw. We don't have all the refined talent on this team that they once had. But with the talent we have, our focus is going to be each other. When somebody screws up, we're not going to point and laugh. We're not going to get on them. We're not going to beat them over the head. We're going to come alongside them, pick them back up, and say, you got this. Keep going. Keep fighting. And this little-known team with, with no names filling the roster did the unthinkable. They climbed the ranks throughout the season. They made it to the playoffs or whatever cricket has. The championship game, and they win the they win it all. 
Uh, a more modern example, one you might be able to relate to, uh, just as well. You know I'm a football fan, right? Is that, a, is that a secret to anybody here? All right. I'm like, I feel like when I talk about football, I should do the John Gruden thing. He gets in this stance. You guys know John Gruden? Okay, some people are more excited than others. But football excites me. There's so many analogies you can draw from it. But there's a, a, a modern team, and I follow the Steelers, so I'm, I follow also all things AFC North. And one of the teams had a roster that most teams would kill for at the beginning of the season. We'll see if I can read this to you. This is some headlines from the beginning of the year. They had a chalk full of talent, the Cleveland Browns team, March 21st, 2019. And this is a projection they would probably win or go to the Super Bowl. This headline said this, only the four teams that played in last season's AFC and NFC Conference Championship games have better odds to make it to the Super Bowl than the Cleveland Browns. Despite all their losing records, despite the circus they have at quarterback, despite the circus in their front office, nobody except those four teams that played in conference championships has a better uh, chance of, of going to the Super Bowl this year than the Browns. Another headline from July, hopes are high in the land, but unlike it has been in the past, this time... Feels real. The Cleveland Browns have built a roster capable of putting together a strong season, which has expectations rising. They now sit under 500, and you're seeing headlines like this. December 6th, so just a couple days ago, the Cleveland Browns need a lot of self-help to salvage a disappointing season. All that talent, but they have a disappointing season. December 7th. Of this year, Odell Beckham Jr.'s talent has been wasted in what multiple sources describe as a dysfunctional Browns offense. I say that to to restate the, the problem. You can have all the talent in the world. You can have all the ability in this room. And still the thing's going to implode if it's not about each other. If it's not about the group and it becomes about you individually, the thing fails before it gets off the ground. And we are watching this happen in sports teams. And no case better than the Cleveland Browns, a promising young quarterback, well, they thought. All the wide receivers he needs, a great defense, good tight ends, all these things, yet they are now, the headlines surrounding this team is what a circus it's become. And most of the big names, talking about their early exit out of Cleveland. Christianity is a team sport. We will not survive the sport. We certainly won't thrive in the sport if we're concerned about individual talent. If it's not part of the collective, it's not part of the edifying the whole, we will fail this thing. It's not just a team sport, but only as individuals do their part as part of the team, right? So there is some individual responsibility, and we're going to get to all of that uh, throughout the text this morning. Before we do that, let's, uh, let's open a word of prayer. Lord, this morning I pray that you would be here with us in a special way. Lord, I'm excited about this message. I'm excited about this text. I'm excited about all the things, Lord. And I uh, am aware of the fact that I might miss all of them if you don't help me this morning. So, uh, Lord, we just uh, admit defeat from the beginning if you're not in it, what we're doing here. And I just pray, Lord, that uh, each person, whether what they need to hear is inspiration, if they need to hear encouragement, Lord, that you would you would give them that this morning. Others of us, maybe, Lord, have had all the encouragement and inspiration we need, and maybe we need, to, uh, we need to check. Maybe you needed to get a hold of us in some convicting way this morning. And so, Father, if that's the case, we're asking your Spirit to do just that for us this morning as well. 
uh, whatever every person has a need of this morning, Lord, might they get it from the message and from the fellowship that they share uh, with your people in this place at this time. We pray this expectantly, Lord. We pray this knowing that you are not going to not deliver. And so, Lord, we thank you in advance. We praise you for what you're going to do in and through this place. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Paul has been getting much more practical, has he not? So he starts off the book, he's very theological. He's saying, hey, look, you believe in this, you need to believe this. You're letting this false uh, doctrine, you're letting these uh, untruths kind of creep in, and you need to get focused back on the thing that I planted this church with. The pure gospel, not not gospel plus law, not gospel plus works, not gospel plus anything. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's grace. It's all grace. And so Paul started out very theological, and now he's gotten intensely practical the last couple of chapters, saying, if you wander from this, this is what's going to happen. These are the works of the flesh. You're going to not love each other. You're going to devour each other. The works of the flesh, and he gave us in chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, he gave us a, a gamut, sort of every category you could think of in sin, he kind of listed for us. Not every individual sin, but all categories of sins. He said, these are the things that you're going to be guilty of if you don't walk in step with the Spirit. So he's gotten intensely practical. And he continues that practical application into chapter 6 and verse 1, where we read, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. He addresses Why? Because he knows their fellow believers. A believer that's wayward doesn't mean they're not a believer. They're a, they're a believer that needs their brother or sister in Christ that needs to be corrected, needs to be brought back. So he says, if anyone's caught in any transgression, that's just a fancy word for sin. And it isn't as though he's saying, if anyone catches you in a sin. He, he's saying, if any of you is ensnared like a trap, you fall into a pit that you didn't know was there. That's what we're talking about here. You're, you're caught in a sin unawares. It wasn't premeditated. You didn't sit around thinking about, I'm going to send my face off this afternoon. You got caught up in the heat of a moment, and you did something you would have otherwise chided yourself for doing. You were caught in a sin. You were caught in a transgression. And if that's the case, Paul says, you should, you who are spiritual should restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. The idea, well, first of all, you back up. The idea of being spiritual, what does that mean? A lot of people think they're spiritual, but we just got done talking about being in step with the spirit. Spirit to all. So if you're in step with the Spirit, that's you. If you're a mature believer in Jesus Christ, that's you. If you are spiritual, restore somebody. The word restore has the kind of connotation of a doctor re-breaking a bone to set it right. It's a painful process. It's not a process you want to go through, but it's a process you need to go through. It's a process your brother or sister in Christ needs you to help guide them through. Because you are not concerned about just being better than them or, w- or winning the race uh, uh, as compared to them. You are interested in their best interest. We talked this morning in our life group. You can't, forgiveness is something you have to want the best for the person you're forgiving in order to be able to forgive them. Because it's not anything to do with you. You're, you're saying when you forgive somebody, I release you of the debt that you otherwise owe me because of the thing that you did to me. I didn't mean to go into this, but it's not a feeling. Somebody here needs to hear that. Forgiveness is not, I feel better about it now. You can feel intense feelings of pain and scarring and difficulty that you have been dragging around with you. We don't want you dragging that around, but that's not the same as forgiveness. 
You can, you can choose to forgive somebody even if you still have feelings that you kind of carry with you. But we're looking to restore the person in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness is one of the nine fruits of the Spirit we just covered last week. Paul's not surprised by that. He listed it as the way in which you should do the restoring. Anybody been to a doctor who did the right stuff, but it hurt like the dickens? Right? It hurt like heck. And uh, I'm convinced I went to the dentist last week for the first time in like 42 years. And I'm only 37. And they're like, when's the last time you've been to a dentist? I'm like, never. Negative years. Uh, I was negative years old last time I went. Didn't have, didn't, had gums. Gums only. And uh, we went through a we went through a series of questions, and and I I did my normal kind of sarcastic, dry responses to everything. Um, they asked me how I hold my toothbrush when I brush my teeth. I said like this, hammer fist. And they're like, do you brush? And I said, and I finished the sentence. I said I brush with toxic masculinity. And at that point, I knew I lost the room. And in, in an all female dentist's office, I was the biggest loser there. And they bring out their bright, shiny, and very sharp dental implements. And they say, it's time to get to work. And not in a spirit of gentleness. Hell hath no fury. Like a female dentist on the receiving end of a dry, sarcastic male with toxic masculinity. Forgive me, Lord. But we are to restore. We, we have to go into this with a spirit of gentleness. We, we want their best. And so why would you do a rough job of that? Why would you want to hurt them in the process? If you truly want their best, you won't do that. Restore them in a spirit of gentleness. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 15. To the person who is disobedient. Paul says this to the person who is not listening to this letter I've written you. Here's the instruction. Regard him not as an enemy but warn him as a brother. Now, who wouldn't do that for their brother or their sister, their family? Do the same thing for the wandering child of God in a spirit of grace and a spirit of gentleness and a spirit of love. But Paul gives a warning. The second part of that first verse, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. There's a danger in uh, those of us doing the rescue that you're going to be tempted by the very sin that you're trying to rescue the person from. That makes sense? You get close to something, you might be tempted by something you've never thought about before. And there's also a danger, a danger of, a, I call it a camaraderie and confession. I believe in accountability groups. I believe in accountability partners. I think that's all healthy and well and good. But here's the problem. When you start confessing the same things, you start to feel a sense of camaraderie and okayness and complacencies. Well, everyone's going through it. It was just one porn site. And I know everybody else, every other male in this building has a, has a problem with that, with lust. And, and so I'm not gonna, I'm no longer gonna look to crucify that in myself. Because now I'm okay with it. I recognize that other people deal with it, so I'm just gonna be okay with it. There's a danger in getting too close. So he says, watch out lest you fall into that hole yourself. Keep watching yourself lest you be tempted. Be on guard, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Why? Because your, your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion. He prowls around looking for whom he may devour. 
I like that Peter says he's like a lion. Because who's the real lion? Let him out of the cage. He's not worried about the thing that prances around like a lion. That's a domesticated house cat. And Jesus is the lion of Judah. Jesus is the one that can devour that clay kitten of the devil. And what he's trying to do. But we cannot. We start messing with that. We do get devoured. If we're operating in our own strength, we get devoured immediately. When I am weak, then I am strong. If you trust in your own abilities this morning, it's not a matter of whether you failed, but how many times you failed on the way here. You can't do it. But Jesus said, you don't have to. I did. And when I did it, I said, it is finished. Amen? Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Christ bore our burden. Uh, several hundred years in advance, it was forecast as uh, the Messiah would be called the suffering servant. Isaiah 53 and verse 4 says, He bore our sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin. And yet what we do is we wake up every morning fully resurrected to sin. When we operate in the flesh, we go right back to it. You cannot will yourself out of sin. You can't. I've tried. I have tried to tell myself over and over and over again, Jeff, you're going down that same, that same route. You're going down the same path. But you'll be stronger this time. Trust me. And I never am. Never. And you never are either. If you're willing to be honest enough with yourself this morning, you never are either. You cannot talk yourself out of sin. You will talk yourself into it every time. Every single time. Thanks be to Jesus, the sustainer of who we are in the whole universe, that he makes your heart beat. And he says, I can handle the other stuff too. The idea of a burden is not just some thing that they're carrying that they maybe shouldn't be. It's a crushing weight. It's something that would destroy them if you don't step in and help them. A crushing weight. It's akin, you could say, to Matthew chapter 23 and verse 4. Uh, said of the Pharisees by Jesus, they heap burdensome and crushing loads on their backs. Loads and burdens that they themselves don't carry. Uh, these false religious elites weren't carrying the loads that they were expecting other people to carry and were being crushed under. This is the kind of burden. That's why Jesus would say, hey, take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. Yeah, I have some expectations. There is a law of Christ to follow. But I'm not going to heap burdensome, crushing weights on your back so you live your life in misery and guilt. I'm going to give you a way out. It's called the Spirit. Again, we're called from a slavery to the law. These things that they want to keep going back to the law, back to the law, back to the law, because performance feels good, right? It feels good when we do a good job. And I'd rather say that. I'd rather be able to pat myself on the back uh, than to say, I can't do anything. Jesus did it all. I don't get to take any credit. But that's the idea. You don't get any credit. We're called from the slavery to the law to a willing slavery to each other in service to each other. That's what we're called to in the body of Christ. That each would esteem the person next to you, in front of you, behind you, the person you know the least, in the, the person you care for the least in this room. 
You esteem them more highly than you esteem yourself. Is that easy? That is not easy. Christianity done right is very hard work. And you look around and people everywhere are being crushed by a burden they can't carry. And you know what that feels like as your pastor? You only get glimpses of the darkness that you encounter and the weight that you carry. I know that at best I can offer a, a moment of relief. I can pray for you. I can take a little bit of that burden from you, but I know you're going to walk out of here and carry it with you. It's a heavy thing, but it's not just me called to it. You all are called to it. To bear one another's burdens. To step in when you see somebody fall down and help them back up. Because you want them restored for their good, not for yours. We have a tendency to do one of two wrong things. When we look around, we see we see this, these burdens everywhere. Uh, the first thing we do is we get weary in well-doing. We just get tired. We get to the end of ourselves. We're like, I don't know how I can go another week. I've had the, Who's had those weeks? I don't know that I can stack another week on this one. If I get one more text, if I get one need, because I'm going to want to fill that need, I'm going to want to meet that need. And every single time you have one, I want to fix it. And I can't always. So what, what the temptation is, just, just cut ties. Just, you know, there'll be an end one day, you just walk away. You can't fix it all, so you just give up. And the other equally problematic response we do is we get desensitized to it and we grow apathetic. We no longer care anymore. You know, there's a pastor I, I follow pretty closely. He said once, I don't know that we're meant to have YouTube. And we're meant to have the internet and, and world news at our fingertips so we can be crushed by absolutely every weight that everybody's dealing with all at the same time. Again, it makes you either feel overwhelmed or you feel apathetic because you're like, I can't do anything about it. Several years ago, I, I found myself, I had a doctor's appointment or something. It certainly was a dentist appointment. I don't have those. I do now. But I had an appointment, I was working midnight, 12-hour shift, so I came home in the morning and I, and I was watching some YouTube videos. And you know how one, one click leads to another, I'm watching, I started out watching sports, I ended up watching uh, the, the earthquake in Haiti of 2010. And my soul is absolutely destroyed. By watching the dump trucks of these Haitian bodies dumped into a hole unceremoniously, never to be mourned by the family because they don't know where they are. They're just bodies in a hole. And I felt shattered by that. I said, Jeff, you got to do something. And then the smarter me said, well, what? What are you going to do for that situation? The answer, nothing. Nothing. There's nothing you can do. So my wife comes down, eventually she gets up, and I've been there for an hour sobbing at my desk. And I meet her, she hasn't even had her coffee yet. And I, I said, we got to do something about this. What are we going to do about this? She's like, well, we can't fix the world's problem until I get some coffee. So we had some coffee. I had my appointment, and we started thinking, God, what would you have us to do to meet this need? 
And for each of us, it might look different. When we look for those burdens, we look for those heavy things, God's answer for what you should do individually might be very different. For us, we said, well, we can't do anything. We can't change the way things are in the world. We can't change what it looks like to be an African child, 33,000 of which will die of starvation every single day. We can't fix that. I can't even slow it down. If I send 500 bucks, it's gone in a day. And it hasn't even helped most of the people. But the thought occurred to us, and God was gracious to us, knowing our hearts, knowing that we wanted to do something. He said, well, you could take a child out of that. Just one. That started the process of our adoption of Daniel. I, I can't imagine this life without. When you're obedient to Jesus, he will more than fill the cup that's been emptied in your pursuit of trying to be obedient to him. You can't empty it out fast enough. He's filling it back up. Be obedient to that. Look for those burdens. Don't be desensitized. Don't be overwhelmed. Just look for the area you can be faithful. There's something for each and every person in this room to be doing. And I don't know what it is. I will help you find that if you give me the time and tell me what you're thinking about. But I can't decide that for you. This is hard work. Paul says in verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You might say to yourself, well, I'm not nothing, so I guess I'm something. You're already deceiving yourself. (laughs) Apart from Christ, we don't have the ability to tie our shoes, to make our heart beat. What makes us think we have the ability to be something apart from Jesus? The author and finisher of our faith. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the everything. So that's just it. If you think you're anything other than nothing, you prove yourself that you are nothing. It's like the guy who who walks around and says, I'm, I'm really humble. That's my thing. I'm just super humble. What? Well, now I know you're not. It's quite a bit self-deception, right? It's uh, Nobody is a better liar to you than you, right? We're real good at it. We all ought to have PhDs in lying to ourselves. And I don't mean like you're just saying something you wish was true but you know isn't. I'm saying you've convinced yourself. I, I was watching this uh, video trying to wrap my, hi- my head around the psychology of self-deception. And uh, one particular video, he was talking about if you think back at your grades in high school. For some of us, that's a long trek. I'll give you some time. But think about your grades in high school. I remember being a fairly good student, more capable than I was good. Never using my intellect really the way I should have. Dropping out of advanced placement courses. And choosing instead to glide through my senior year because that's a lot easier. Sports and girls, don't tell Brindy. I didn't meet her yet. Think about your grades in high school. What were they? And and, and this odd phenomenon occurred. People that had high grades, uh, of about 90% of those that had A's remembered that correctly. They remembered that accurately about themselves. We remember the good stuff, right? Uh, but then as you get lower in the grades and the scale, the memory seems to just drop off. Well, I typically don't remember that. Well, you're blocking it out. So those that were receiving um, largely D's, only about 20 to 30% of them recalled getting a D. We are tremendous at deceiving ourselves into thinking what we want to think about ourselves. So rather than trust ourselves, we ought to test ourselves and our own work. And as Paul, is, that's what he's going to tell us to do in the very next verse. Verse 4, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. 
The test means to prove, to prove, to examine. You can't know that you know the material except that you took the test and did well on it, right? You don't know that the chair is going to hold you up except that you prove it by sitting in it. So you have to test, you have to prove your own works. But this whole reason to boast, it seems kind of contra- contradictory, doesn't it? That you should boast in anything that you do. I mean, Jeremiah 9.24 says, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then Paul would quote that very verse in his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1 and verse 31. Well, that can't be what Paul means. And even in this book, if you read on to verse 14, he says, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. I have no other place to boast but in something I didn't do, something I couldn't accomplish. I'll boast in that. And so what Paul's getting at is the foolishness of comparing ourselves to one another. In his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 12, he says, When you do so, when you compare yourself among yourselves, you are unwise. Which is a kind way of saying you're stupid. You're dumb. Don't do that. Don't don't look at yourself and measure. You measure up pretty well to the person who had none of the advantages in life. Why would I expect somebody that grew up maybe in a broken home the first 18 years of their life, to have the same kind of progress in life that I enjoy when I had two loving parents who taught me God's word, who beat me over the head with it. And sometimes guilty. I forgive you. If you're watching, I forgive you. They're not. They're in church. But why would I compare myself to somebody else who didn't have the same advantages as me? It's foolish, Paul says. Your works, your individual works are tested against what your better self should have done. And isn't it something phenomenal occurs when you do that? You never measure up. When you look at the best you on your best day, what they would have, should have done, what you did do always pales in comparison so that you're left without excuse to to boast. You, You never achieve the thing that you could have in your best moment Done with all the resources God's given you. So your work should be tested against what you have ought to have done, not what someone else did. My mom used to tell me all the time when I was uh, growing up, because she'd say I she'd tell me I was doing something wrong. I'm sure I was, but and I'd say, well, at least I'm not doing this, and that never worked. Um, she'd always come back and say, yeah, well, if you compare yourself to the worst around you, I guess you look pretty good, huh? And I was like, ooh, zing. Mom with the zinger again, but she had the same zingers every time. She just repeated herself. Her favorite one, uh, uh, a fool's mouth calleth for strokes. That's the King James, so you know she really meant it. But don't focus on the mistakes of your teammates. And this is the individual responsibility. Yes, we are focused on the team, but we all have individual responsibilities as a part of the team. We need to focus on our own portion of the responsibility. Paul says in verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. And again, we have what seems to be a Pauline contradiction. Paul is full of these, which is why you can't just read Paul carelessly. You have to say, if you think Paul's contradicting himself, he's not. He's smarter than you. Find the reason why it seems like he's contradicting himself and figure it out. And he's using two different words here. He, in the first part, he says, bear one another's burdens, a crushing weight. On the other hand, he says, pick up your own load. That's a soldier's backpack. 
Every soldier can carry their backpack, just their individual belongings. He's expecting, as a part of the team, that everybody is pulling their own weight and then some. So you're capable, God made you smart, God made you physically capable, then get up and do your duty. Get up and do the thing God's made you to do. Because you will be unfulfilled in this life until you do it. So many young, strong lives are wasted. The best part, the most able years of their lives are wasted. Because they're chasing something different. They're not building kingdom, they're building their own kingdom. Of which they are the king. Or the queen. And we miss entirely what God has for us. And then in our old age, we say, man, I wish I would have made better choices. I wish I would have given more of my life to Jesus. Well, here's me reminding you now. Give more of your life to Jesus. I surrender a portion. I surrender some. No, I surrender all. He's asking for every single bit of it. And he will give you the joys of your heart. He will give you the desires of your heart because he's going to fix your stupid desires and give you better ones. I didn't mean to be so preachy this morning, but the world outside of here is literally dying to hear what we have, and we're withholding it. Why? I don't know. You're scared of what somebody might think of you? What a pathetic excuse. Not to to show somebody the the fountain of youth, eternal life. Because you're worried about what they might think. They might think you're too churchy. You think you're too uh, knuckle, knuckle dragon, Bible thumping, whatever. I'm happy to be called that. And so Paul here expects the Galatians to pick up their own pack and get used to carrying it. When you get used to it, you'll be physically stronger, spiritually stronger, and then you'll be looking for other ways in which you can help somebody else. Somebody who isn't as strong as you. Somebody who isn't as capable as you. This whole idea of teamwork can't be achieved apart from each individual part of the team doing their individual part. That's how teamwork works. Uh, Imagine our football analogy. Imagine a different case for the Cleveland Browns, and they're they're firing on all cylinders. In the center, the guy that hikes the ball, if you're not familiar, he just decides as soon as he hikes the ball, he's just going to get out of the way. There's no quarterback in the, that league that's capable of playing well under that sort of pressure when somebody's not doing their job. And each person that drops their load and decides not to carry it, there's more tough backs of the few of us that are deciding to carry the load. And we get crushed to the point of being weary and well-doing. So if you're not picking up your part, you're not just affecting you or the person who's closest to you. You're affecting the few people that said, you know, I'll give my life to this Jesus. Everything I've got is for Jesus. But every time you stack another weight on that person, say, hey, could you carry a little bit of mine too? And you know that you're fully capable of being one of those people that's carrying extra weight instead of loading onto somebody else's back. I hope this all makes sense. I hope it's been clear to you. We have a job to do. And it is a team effort. But the team thing only works as individuals hold up their end of the bargain. Each person pulling their weight and then some. So what kind of a team are we at Ignite? What kind of a team is represented in this room right now? Are we the kind of team that sees a brother and sister in Christ fail and say, well, I guess 
That just confirms me I, I was a little bit better than them. I already thought it, now I know it. We deceive ourselves. Or are we the kind that says our hearts are broken for them because we know that they're not realizing their full potential in Jesus? And instead we get alongside them and say, hey, I've, I've, I've experienced that before and I probably will again. So let me, let me help you carry yours. And then when I need you to help me carry mine, you'll be there to do the same thing. That's the kind of team we need to be here at Ignite. Not the kind of team that sees somebody crushed under the weight and assumes that it must have been their fault. We fulfill the law of Christ. We become more like Christ. We become more mature, more spiritual in Christ the more we do this. So what kind of teammate are you? Are you one that would reckon yourself spiritual? The more spiritual you are, the more responsibility you have. It's a cheesy line, but the the Spider-Man line, with great power comes great responsibility. With great maturity comes great responsibility. If, if Jesus has given you every tool in the, in the book, in the, in the tool chest, and he's given you every ability to use them, and you're not using them, what does that say? The goal for us all, both individually and collectively, is maturity, is Christ-likeness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service or works of ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We're not done learning. We're not done building. We're not done strengthening until we look more and more and more like Jesus himself. Colossians 1 says the whole goal of teaching and preaching is maturity in Christ. Christ Christ-likeness. Many people come to church simply to be fed. And I'm not knocking you. If you are here this morning to be fed, then I want to feed you. I don't want to beat you over the head with this book. I want you to be fed. I want you to leave here full. But next week, I want you to come back stronger. The next week, I want you to come back more ready. The muscles flexing a little bit, ready to carry somebody else's after you've been fed. But so many people come to be fed, and the, the story of their Christianity is they bounce from church to church to church looking for some place to feed them. Never once thinking, maybe my job is to feed other people. We're all called to lead. Are you a feeder or are you a leader? And the reality is that, it's a clever rhyme, right, Ned? The reality is that we are all called to lead. It doesn't, all, it doesn't look like for everybody they're going to stand up here and preach each week. Not everyone's given that gift or put in that position. But the reality is that discipleship is leading, and we are all called to discipleship, to make disciples of every nation. And so we're all called to be leaders. I want to share just a personal anecdote, and while I do this, I will invite the worship team to come back up. Uh, two parallel... 18-year-old stories, uh, myself and a good friend of mine. And uh, he went first, but he went to his pastor. He said, hey, I, I really would like to mature in my faith. I'd like, I'd like for you to consider discipling me. And so the pastor decides, I'm not going to make it easy for him. I'm going to make him meet on Friday mornings at 5 in the morning. And it was like a 30-minute drive to get there. So this dude, if he's going to be, if he's going to do it, he's got to be serious about it. He's got to really mean it. And so he did. And for years they met at 5 in the morning on Fridays. 
I thought, man, that's really cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to my pastor. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask the same thing. Hey, would you mind discipling me? And so I went up to my pastor and said, hey, I'd really like you to consider discipling me and kind of show me the ropes. I'd like to be more mature in my faith. He said, I'll think about it. I'll pray about it. And never said another word. And that would have otherwise crushed me as an 18-year-old wanting to. Don't ever do that, by the way. Don't ever take an 18-year-old that's, that's full of fire and passion for Jesus and douse the flames. Don't do that. Send, if you're going to do it, send them to me. But I could have been crushed by that, but instead I decided after I got done wallowing in my misery, why my pastor didn't think I was good enough to be discipled. And, and God just whispered in my ear, he said, I've given you everything you need to s- disciple other people. You're not looking for a pole to lean on, you are the pole to lean on. So start looking for people that need to lean. And I want you all to be those poles for people to lean on. And maybe it's not this week. Maybe it's not next week, and I'm not going to rush you to it. But have that as a goal, that you're not just going to be a feeder here, you're going to be a leader here, in whatever way that Jesus has called you to be that. And maybe you think it's in a small way. Trust me, you cannot overemphasize the importance of leading somebody to be more Christ-like. Somebody first won Billy Graham to the Lord. And maybe it was just that one person, and then he changed the world. We can only do what we do in Jesus. We can only find true freedom to pursue these things in Jesus, by the power of Jesus. And so true freedom to reach maturity comes when we have completely surrendered to Jesus. Not surrendered some, not even surrendered most, but surrendered all. You've, you've given your life and you said, it's yours, do with it what you will, King Jesus. Because I'm one of your soldiers. And I'm not quitting. So long as you give me the grace to continue, I will continue. And I want to be tired when I die. I want my back to hurt. I want my fingernails dirty. And I want a whole league of people behind me that know Jesus because I was obedient. We find that true freedom in Jesus and in walking in step with his spirit. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for meeting our needs here this morning. We thank you for being faithful to us when we are so often faithless to you. Lord, we are excited about what you're doing here at Ignite. We are so thrilled to know that each week you come here, you meet us. Where two or three are gathered, there you are in the midst, and we thank you for that. We couldn't do this apart from you, and if you were to leave, we know it would fall apart. But we're trusting your promises. Uh, We're trusting expectantly, Lord, that you want to do some amazing things through this body of believers. Uh, Lord, turn these feeders into leaders. Uh, Rise up a a new generation of people that will stop saying no to you and start saying yes. That will no longer look for a pole to lean on, but will look to be the pole for somebody else to lean on. Lord, make make that just contagious around us. So that one after another after another gets that fire in their, in their soul and is discontented with anything else. We thank you in advance, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. As the worship team closes out, I will be up front. If anybody wants to pray about getting that freedom, pray about being that leader.